The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. my friends and welcome to this another episode of the roto world football podcast my name is josh norris joined as always by ian harditz and this time mr young face himself hayden winks gentlemen how are we i'm doing good josh it's fun you know to get the youngins in this company you know involved in some <laughs> of the shows uh you know I, hayden hasn't been around quite as long as us but you know it's really good to see you know, the next movement of the next generation here yeah if, if you include me in that ian i i Love that compliment. I love that comment. Um, <laughs> Hayden, all of us from the outside looking in saw that you moved this weekend. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, uh, moved up to the third floor of a new apartment building with no elevator. So I did um, 130 flights of stairs uh, on Friday and 108 flights of stairs on Saturday while holding boxes. So my legs are absolutely trashed. Uh, that's a flex. I think, is that what the kids call them, Ian? A flex? <laughs> yeah, I think so, man. I can't keep up with it. Can you, Josh? <laughs> Just crazy. Well, Hayden, if, if I can peel back the curtain here for a moment, you and I were in the combine in Indianapolis, which feels like three years ago. Uh, but you were mentioning how you wanted to, you know, if we're being honest, work off some of that football season weight. I'm right. assuming that you officially did that this weekend. Oh, it definitely helped. Like you notice some, uh, like my legs feel Pretty sore. My calf probably haven't had that type of workout in years. So, uh, but we're finally getting uh, more time to actually work out, which is nice. So, uh-huh. um, we're gonna mo- do it. Movers or no movers, or was it the Hayden Winks Moving Company? Primarily me, and then my father-in-law, and we hired two two movers to move the couch and the bed. Got it. Okay. I would also say that if you ever go to the mover side, you will never go back because right. it just makes life extremely easy. Um, and hey, Eden, you mentioned that this might be the young group. Hopefully I'm getting paid double some overtime here for babysitting you two, because <laughs> this might dive into the depths of Roto World. Um, let's do it. Let's go into the show, shall we? By the way, uh, for the record, like the yes. first time I met Hayden, I really did think he was like a good chunk younger than me. And then I find out like after the first period, we're within like 12 months of each other. So right. <laughs> <laughs> you act exactly the same too, I might add. Okay. Oh, thank you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. 
Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let's dive into today's show. I might have escaped the trains in Connecticut, but I have not escaped NFL hype trains from the offseason. Yes, yes, I had to work that in there, Ian Harditz. Uh, yeah, today we're going to talk uh, hype trains, and we know that the offseason is the perfect time for that. Players who either perform great or didn't perform great last season somehow in these months that we have off get propelled into stardom. So we're going to go through six names today. Each of us are going to nominate two. Um, either we'll be on the hype train, off of it, still uncertain, kind of just had a conversation on each of those names. Ian Harditz, why don't you kick us off today? So I'm continuing to stay on the hype train. I may have invented this past January, not as the Calvin Ridley wide receiver one hype hype train. And look, I've seen this come up a lot more recently for some reason because it's June and I think us fantasy analysts just kind of pick a different player to bark about every day. But, you know, just some of the issues with Ridley, I think we need to address like, OK, he's the number two wide receiver on his own team. And everyone says, why don't you take your DJ charts and these number one options, number one wide receivers a little more seriously. But, you know, we have to look league wide and realize that just because you're a number one wide receiver doesn't even mean you're your team's number one pass game option. A lot of teams have multiple wide receivers fighting for that job like the Rams. Other teams have, you know, a tight end one or even an RB one that's taken that. I mean, I just went through the rosters. I think there's about 16, give or take, wide receivers that are locked in as their team's number one pass game option. So it's not like we have 32 wide receivers that we need to assume are getting more volume than Calvin Ridley. Realistically, his volume should kind of be in that top 15, 20, 25 worst case range. And, you know, once you also include, hey, this guy just averaged 17.5 PPR points per game when Muhammad Sanu was gone. They didn't replace Sanu with anyone. We still just have Russell Gage there. I like Hayden Hurst. You guys like Hayden Hurst. But, like, come on. Ridley is cemented as the number two option in a very good passing game that's going to have to throw the ball again because it didn't fix their defense. And, I mean, the only complaint I can see, which, Hayden, I, I saw you made a good point on Twitter about this, is Ridley's, you know, yards after the catch isn't amazing, but – I've always somewhat wondered, is that more of a skill stat or a little bit of a scheme stat? What kind of targets are you getting? And again, if that's the only question, the guy's missed three games over two years. Whenever he's gotten at least eight targets, he's going for seven catches and over 100 yards. I just, even though people are digging in this Ridley more and, you know, maybe Chris Goblin is the overall better player, I still think we need to treat Ridley as anyone's idea of a top, you know, 15, 16 wide receiver this year. Yeah, for me, he's my wide receiver 10. Uh, just the opportunity meets talent. Falcons led the NFL in pass attempts last year. They had the highest pass rate in the NFL. They were top four in pass rate while trailing and leading last year. They also have the most available targets. And then just going back from like 2019 all the way to 2014, this is where the Falcons wide receivers ranked as a team. They were in second in fantasy points, second, seventh, third, eighth, and first. So this team's just been loaded at receiver for a while i i don't see how he's not going to be like a, a borderline wide receiver one every week wow 
And I think the note that you just made is the important one because he's right now in drafts, he's going somewhere around the wide receiver 16. You have him as the wide receiver 10, you mentioned Hayden. I, I guess the only discussion and conversation here is just how early you're, you're willing to draft him to make sure he lands on your team because there are so many talented receivers. We talked about this on the last episode with Pat. So many talented receivers in that top 12, top 16 wide receiver group. So, Hayden and Ian, let me turn this back on you. Like, are you willing to take him over a Juju Smith-Schuster? Are you willing to take him over an Allen Robinson? Are you willing to take him over an Odell Beckham, a DJ Moore, right? That That's where this conversation starts. Because if we could get him, all three of us, at wide receiver 16 every single draft, boom, he's on our fancy roster. But if, it, if you have to reach just a little bit to, to guarantee yourself – that that player, then I think that's when, you know, it gets really interesting for fantasy teams. Yeah. And look, I'm not trying to jump and get Ridley just because I want him that badly in the second round. But if you get your RB, RB start, like we've kind of been talking up, I mean, I'm coming more around to the idea as we do these drafts more that, yeah, you don't really, you know, get your two, get your two top 20 RBs. Don't really mess around with that next range and then go get your stud receiver in round three. Basically like people should not be sad or afraid or anything. If Calvin Ridley is the first wide receiver you're drafting this year. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I like the RB, RB start. And then basically from wide receiver six to about wide receiver like 16, all those guys are pretty close, but that's like the the names you just listed, the Juju Smiths, Allen Robinson. Uh, Calvin Ridley is right in the middle of that. But the one thing is depending on what site you're drafting from, Calvin Ridley is like kind of like ranked like around like wide receiver 18, 19 on some of these uh, consensus boards. On like I think it was like on Yahoo I was drafting. So I've been – Drafting guys I have ranked lower than Ridley earlier, someone like DJ Moore, and then getting Ridley in the fourth round. So that's that's something I've been really excited to do. Nice. That's something that's always in our draft guide and season pass is you know taking advantage of the simple rankings, the drafting rankings on teams' sites or on, on different sites. So absolutely, Calvin Ridley is a name to keep in there. Okay, let's move on. Uh, I'll go next. Um, we've talked about this name as well this offseason. Right now he's being drafted as the wide receiver 44, 121 overall. His name is Mikael Hardman. Mikael Hardman, a second-round pick, I think, above pick number 61 last year, 41 targets, 26 receptions, 538 yards, and six touchdowns um, as a rookie. You know, at this draft slot, this is where I want to start this conversation. At his draft slot, again, as the wide receiver 44, he's either your wide receiver four, maybe your wide receiver five. And at that spot, I really want to really bank on upside. I, I want to try for upside. You know, if he fails, if he doesn't get the opportunity that we hope he gets, then you can find those target types during the season. You know, your Zach Pascals, your Cole Beasley's, whoever else. But my question to you, Ian, is this. Travis Kelsey, 136 targets last year. Sammy Watkins, 90 targets. Demarcus Robinson, 55 targets. Then Mikko Hardman, 41 targets. He still scored six touchdowns, but who is going to give up the targets this season in order for Mikko Hardman to have really fantasy value each and every week? We're talking season long here. That's the one question I have with if he can make good on all this hype he's getting this offseason. And that's kind of the problem. I mean, you look at the playoff stretch and he just wasn't able to find the field. And, you know, we gave Sammy Watkins all kind of crap for his performance throughout most of last regular season. But the guy over these last playoff games, similar to Damian Williams, you know, he looks like a replaceable guy in the regular season. You put him in the playoffs, starts making plays. So it wouldn't be shocking if week one comes around and Mecole is out of three wide receiver sets. I will say 
he's kind of got that like Josh Reynolds s role where it's not like we need Tyreek to get hurt. Like we could have Tyreek, Sammy, or Demarcus Robinson get hurt, and Miko is going to slide right into that uh, you know starting number three role. I don't know how many targets are going to be there, but I mean, literally the most efficient rookie ever in yards per target, you know, when the stack got invented in 1992, it's me, Hardman. And yeah, I some of that is lack of opportunity, but truly this guy is Tyreek Hill light. I mean, we kind of scoffed at the comparison when they drafted him because this is another, you know, shorter, fast guy. And how can you compare a rookie to Tyreek Hill? But literally we're talking about the only two guys over the last two seasons with at least six touchdowns of 30 plus yards. The guy just breeze big plays they're gonna find a way to get his touches and i'm with you josh like if this was like a top 30 pick maybe we could have more questions but as your wide receiver four wide receiver five go get that upside yeah his biggest thing is just getting on the field uh when tyree hill was healthy last year his highest routes run in a game was only 21 i mean usually you see that like 35 40 um, for started full-time starters so he has to pass up at least demarcus robinson which is pretty doable i mean demarcus robinson's fast but he's not like uh, quite as explosive as McCole Hardman is. And we got to remember, this is McCole Hardman's like third or fourth season ever playing wide receiver. He was a cornerback at Georgia uh, at the beginning of his career. So he's, we should expect him to only get better. I don't think we'll ever see him as like a consistent wide receiver three as long as Tyreek and Travis Kelsey are healthy. But I mean, every, every single week we're looking like when week five, week six rolls around, we're looking at just like an upside flex and yeah, DeMarcus or McCole Hardman's upside is going to be way higher than the other guys that are, you're going to be trotting out there. So to have him at the end of your bench, why not? And these are the names of wide receivers going around him. Again, wide receiver 44, depending on where you're looking at ADP. Uh, Darius Slayton is wide receiver 40. After him, C.D. Lamb. Jamison Crowder talked about target volume. Jerry Judy in there as well. After him, Emmanuel Sanders, John Brown, Mike Williams. You know, Henry Ruggs is an interesting example, right? Or an interesting name to bring up because, you know, both are hyper explosive. Both have that big play upside at all times. But how it sits right now, it would be shocking if Miko Hardman is the one that sees more targets over the likes of Henry Ruggs, because we talk about, you know, targets left on the table all the time this offseason. There are no targets left on the table for the Chiefs this offseason, right? <laughs> like all the players are basically returning. Now, the difference in Henry Ruggs and Miko Hardman is one, probably the pecking order at wide receiver, but one's attached to Derek Carr and one's attached to Patrick Mahomes <laughs> and Andy Reid. And most likely, if we're talking about wide receiver fours, wide receiver fives, I want the one and potentially the best offense in the NFL with the best quarterback in the NFL and the best play caller in the NFL. Call me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> as you say, as you always say, Josh, just draft good players. doesn't have to be this hard, right? Just draft good players on winning teams. Why not? There we go. Go straight to your title. Okay. So there's two names down. Hayne Winks, give us the third name. I am all the way in on Tyler Higby, the Rams tight end. And it, last, I mean, everyone knows the stats in the last five weeks. He averaged 21.2 PPR points per game, 11.2 targets per game. That led the position the last five weeks. But what's crazy about that is he's still a positive touchdown regression candidate. He only had three touchdowns last year. My expected receiving touchdowns model had him at 6.1, so we should expect his touchdowns to increase next year. And the the one thing about the Rams offense is if they're good, these guys are going to be putting up points. That means they're scoring points in general. And if they're bad, at least the Rams run at the fastest rate in the NFL when they're trailing, and they pass the ball more than any team in the league when they're trailing. So if the Rams are good, Tyler Higby's scoring touchdowns. If the Rams are bad, then he's going to get the volume. So 
Um, we've seen the ceiling and not some, not, not many tight ends have shown elite tight end, tight end production. So that's why I like uh, Tyler Higby out of that uh, after the tight end four guys that there's like that mix of like Evan Ingram and Darren Waller. I like Higby the best out of that group. Yeah. I like that call Hayden. And you know, sometimes it's scary to get behind these dudes that really didn't do much throughout their career. And they have some random five, six game stretch in the end of the season where they're just balling out. You gotta be careful why were they playing so well? Is this even going to transition to next year? But I think we can be confident that that Rams offense we saw after their bye week is what we're going to see moving forward. I mean, Sean McVay has talked about wanting to, you know, use more personnel, change the game plan week to week, be more like the Patriots. I mean, they were the league's most three wide receiver heavy team before their bye last year, and they slipped down to 11th afterwards. And that was with Gerald Everett, the number two tight end, banged up. So I think moving forward, we have to assume Higby's going to be our starting tight end. Woods and Copper at the wide receivers – but I don't know that any one of Everett, Reynolds, Van Jefferson, I think we're just going to kind of see a rotation in more different formations than usual. I mean, good news is Higby has been identified seemingly as one of the top guys because, again, that's what he was in the new look Rams offense we're talking about. But, you know, whether or not he can, can – even if he doesn't need to get those same Gronk-esque heights, we know he can get there. That's fantastic. But even, you know, a moderate slip in that type of usage, I mean, he doesn't need 11 targets per game. He can have eight targets per game, get that touchdown progression – uh, positive regression Hayden was talking about, and we're still talking good. I'm so curious about this dynamic of the LA Rams this season because they go from a team for years that ran 11 personnel 90 plus percent of the time to now this offseason getting rid of Wade Phillips. You know, Sean McVay is helping bring in an offensive coordinator, even if he's still going to call plays, and they want to change things week to week far more often. But it's kind of somewhat of an unknown what that week to week is. We did see that part of the time last year, but so much t- two tight end sets are going to be talked about, not just with the Rams, but, you know, across the league. Well, the Rams are going to run 12 personnel 90 something percent of the time, like they did with three wide receivers a couple of years ago. Right. But that's not something we necessarily have to worry about, because if they're still going to go with a single tight end on the field, almost assuredly, that is going to be Tyler Higby. My my only thought and hesitation with investing in Tyler Higby is just that middle tight end group, right? Like if I don't get your George Kittles, if if I don't get your Travis Kelsey's, you know, I still have a soft spot for, for Evan Ingram, call me crazy. But if I miss on that, and Ian, we've talked about this a lot, if I miss on that, then, you know, I would love to wait for your Hayden Hurst, your, your Jared Cooks, your Noah Fants, so on and so forth. And those names, rather than pass up, you know, a great wide receiver talent that might be on the board to not feel great about my tight end selection. That's the only like negative about Higby. He is kind of being priced near his ceiling. And that's what's interesting, guys. Like, I, this isn't exactly a Jared Goff fan-friendly podcast here. But, you know, I, I took like the ADPs of every team's running back, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, tight end one, and then took the quarterbacks pretty much see who are these late-round quarterbacks that have really high expected, you know, projected skill position guys. And we kind of pinpointed Teddy Bridgewater as that throughout this offseason. Goff, though, actually had the biggest difference. And you look at that Higby explosion at the end of the year, Goff was like the QB5 during that stretch, multiple touchdowns, averaging over 300 yards per game. I know it's not pretty, but, I mean, as bad as that Rams offense kind of was relative to our expectations last year, still a top-12 scoring unit. And as Hayden says, I mean, they're going to be throwing the ball around a lot, probably regardless of if they're able to, uh, you know, get better or worse on the scoreboard. Yeah, as long as Jared Goff just, like, absolutely does not suck this year, which, you know, 
that could be a big if because they didn't try to improve that offensive line at all, even though it showed kind of what a dumpster fire the offense can be when they allow disruption and pressure. I'm not going to say everyone can be value or be values on that offense because Cooper Cup is still going as a wide receiver 15 ahead of Calvin Ridley, who we mentioned. You know, Robert Woods, who I would want to invest in, is wide receiver 18. That running back, that backfield, we have no clue how that is going to shake out. But I mean, we've seen Sean McVay for years work his magic. And yes, that was an ideal situation behind that offensive line. I just kind of think like that Rams offense has been forgotten about this offseason. Like we're, we're hyping up the Cardinals, obviously. We're hyping up the, the Rams, or excuse me, the, the Cardinals, the, the 49ers, you know, the 40. The, the Seahawks, like this is this is a team that has still put out one of the best offenses in the last few years. Um, they could easily do that again in 2020. Yeah, they're at least getting the volume, and you can't say that about other teams. I mean, when you lead the league in passing rate when you're trailing and in offensive pace while you're trailing, your floor is just so much higher because you're at least going to get on the field. Uh, by the way, I was checking the draft guide, which you all can find on stands. The two people who have Tyler Higby, the highest of all of us are on this podcast. That is Hayden Winks, and that is Ian Harditz. There you go. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You too. The two young guns. All right. First three names of the hype train. Calvin Ridley, Miko Hardman, and Tyler Higby. Let's go for round two. Ian Harditz, you're up. All right. I'm off the Buccaneers in general. And it's kind of mostly for the reason that I just said with Higby. It's Everyone is being priced in like a best case scenario at their ceiling right now. Brady, like I'm looking at best ball ADPs because just I know it's different than redraft, but there's, we just don't have as – much uh, information right now from redraft ADP. So Brady's going as a QB nine. Goblin's the wide receiver six. Evans is the wide receiver eight. Gronk's the tight end nine. Rojo and Keyshawn are okay enough values in the RB30 range. But like, guys, we just learned last year when we talked ourselves into Goblin, Evans, and OJ Howard, how hard it can be for any offense to have three high-end dudes. And we're in the same offense with a different quarterback. We're now projecting three receivers to, again, be top 12 scoring people at their position. I get it. TB 12 is the GOAT. Edelman's new were banged up last year, but I mean, we still saw like five of his last seven efforts where Brady just really couldn't move the ball down the field. And again, I think he's better now and upgrading the weapons and everything. It's going to help, but 
I mean, 43-year-old Brady, we need him to just continue to not be affected by anything for them to put up these types of numbers that we're projecting. I mean, it took Jameis league-high pass attempts. It took him to be the, you know, passing leader because we judged that by uh, total passing yards, which is kind of hysterical. And, you know, we're already hearing from Bruce Arians about, you know, being more willing to check down, uh, utilizing more two tight end heavy personnel. It's, you know, I don't think the Buccaneers are going to be bad. I think they're going to be fighting for the playoffs, maybe even making the playoffs. But I'm just not really buying that they're going to be this locked in top five offense like we're projecting them to be. Yeah, it, it's it's simply the price tags. We know Mike, or Mike Evans is good. Chris Godwin's really good. Um, Gronk's obviously really good. The Buccaneers running back situation is very odd. Uh, I think Ronald Jones is now ahead of Keyshawn Vaughn in ADP after that flip flopped a while ago, but I'm just completely out on both of them. I I think both of them are just average talents. And over the last three years, the Buccaneers running backs have averaged the lowest amount of PPR points in the league. And we're not even including Dario Ugambuale into the mix here, who could be the third down back just because he's such a good pass blocker. Um, I don't want I don't want either of the running backs. Maybe Gronk if I've missed out on the other guys, and then Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. There's there's so many guys in that range, like the Adam Thielens, Allen Robinsons, for me, Calvin Ridley, um, that I'm not really just going out on a limb and reaching for those guys either. Call me crazy, guys. Like I I want Tom Brady as my quarterback this year. I do, and 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 I might, you know, it might not work out. But we've also say, seen if it doesn't work out and there's not enough volume, then I can easily pivot over to someone else at the quarterback position. But right now he's going as the quarterback 10. We have this like awful image in our head from a production angle of what Tom Brady did last year. He only recorded 27 total touchdowns, right? 24 passing, three rushing. I bet he gets to that 32 mark this year. I mean, 27 is the lowest touchdown rate he had since the 2013 season. Now he has probably the best weapons he's had since, you know, peak Rob Gronkowski. Before that, like peak Randy Moss, right? Mike Evans, every single year he's played in the NFL, he's had at least a thousand yards. Let this season, when now he has a quarterback who is probably the best of all time, and I understand he's definitely on the wrong side of 40, we don't think he's going to get it. Like, I, I absolutely think Mike Evans is going to get it. And I understand that, you know, it, it, it's not – necessarily a hype train for these individual players because they've already met theirs and and found theirs and hit them. Chris Godwin was certainly a hit last year on that. But these are extremely stable talents with Tom Brady throwing the football to him that to me is just going to scream efficiency this year. And the volume might not be there, but the efficiency I think absolutely will be. Yeah, I just feel like when you're – I mean, all right, you're kind of talking me into this because there's not – like you're talking me into myself, Josh, because I don't think Brady has any sort of ceiling. Like we talk about not wanting these just like, why take Brady when you can get Jared Goff, who we know is going to throw the ball more like six QBs later. Like we just oh, don't, gosh. there's no rushing. There's no rushing floor. Brady is a million times better in real life than, uh, you know, Jared Goff. I'm not trying to disagree with that, but I, I don't know, man, to spend a top 10 QB pick on Brady, get out a year okay. early, not a year too late. Let, let's act like we're in a fantasy draft right now, okay? And obviously a number of names we're not going to take Tom Brady ahead of, like your Lamar Jackson's, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray's, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, probably not even a Josh Allen either. I'm going to take Carson Wentz ahead of Tom Brady as well. But like, let's say we're on the board, Hayden and Ian, and, and Tom Brady's up there and Aaron Rodgers is up there. Tom Brady's up there. Matthew Stafford is up there. Daniel Jones, 
I'm starting with Tom Brady in those situations. I think his situation is so much better. And I understand that probably they aren't going to be trailing. And I, I think there's a little bit of a hype drain for the Buccaneers defense thinking it's going to be that much better than it was last year. So this team's not going to be in negative game scripts at all. Um, yeah, I'm buying into Tom Brady. Maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid and I'm excited to see him not on the Patriots or in a Patriots jersey. But I, I'm cool with leaving drafts with him as my quarterback. Yeah, out of, out of that list, the only guy that I would be drafting over Tom Brady is Matthew Stafford. Just the ceiling seems so much higher. We saw what he did for the, through the first eight weeks. But yeah, I think Tom Brady's going to throw for 30, 32 touchdowns. Uh, they'll win nine or 10 games, and he'll like be like the QB 10. I don't know if we're going to get much upside beyond that, but I think he's uh, he's an all right value there. I don't, it's not really Tom Brady against those guys, though. It's Tom Brady at a round that's going a couple rounds ahead of these guys, or do you get the better wide receiver there and then hook it back with a quarterback like your Burrow, your Stafford, even your Jimmy G, guys that could have a higher ceiling than Brady? And it's, it's tough, Josh. You know, I, if you're in your leagues that reward not throwing interceptions, I get it, but I, I just don't see the ceiling here for Brady. Just excited to see Scotty Miller have a hype train heading into the 2021 season as well. Um, you mentioned Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn. Pat and I actually discussed that backfield in the previous podcast before this one. Go and check that one out. We talked about our favorite and least favorite picks in each and every round. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn right now is going in the sixth round. Uh, you can decide which side you think that that one landed on, favorite or least favorite. Um, and if you're checking us out on YouTube, go and subscribe to the Rotor World Football Podcast on any of your podcast feeds uh, and share it with one friend. We really appreciate it. Okay, let's move on. I'll go and stick with wide receiver here and go with another second-year player. Wide receiver 20, 53 overall, his name is DK Metcalf. 100 targets during his rookie season, 58 receptions, 900 yards, and seven touchdowns. It's kind of a shock, but Metcalf's 100 targets led all wide receivers last year, and he was just second in air yards just behind Terry McLaurin. Um, I, I do think that, you know, I, I don't know where I stand on this one, right? Because the talent that DK Metcalf is, is almost unparalleled across the NFL. Yet he had some areas where he was weak in and just wasn't perfect in. And so that's why he was used like that early in his rookie season, you know, just stuck on the left side of the formation, running a lot of vertical routes, slants, the slot fades were crazy productive. Um, but then as the season went along, you know, they started using him on over routes, things across the formation, even receptions on the right side of the field, <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. Um, but what leads me to believe, and this is a storyline for a lot of players, that we can actually buy into what he did in the final portion of the season, namely his playoff performance of two games, 14 targets, 11 receptions, 219 yards and a touchdown is Ian. We saw that progression. We saw that development, right? So if we're getting end of season, DK Metcalf immediately at the start of his second season, then very rare and maybe special things can happen for the wide receiver 20. Yeah. I know we get Brian Schottenheimer and the Seahawks, offense a ton of crap and deservedly so you have one of the most efficient quarterbacks ever and all you want to do is run the ball all the time but as you said josh i mean the usage of metcalf not only got better as you went on but i mean you could just see it with rush just more and more comfortable tossing the ball up into the guy in contested coverage almost whenever he wanted to i mean just consider this it took doug baldwin four years with Russ before he got triple digit targets in the season it took lockett five dk metcalf got that as a rookie 
they only brought in Philip Dorsett to just be a clear out wide receiver three. He might not even beat out, beat out uh, David Moore for that job. You know, we got Greg Olson there now, but even though it's a run first offense in Seattle, you look across the league, there are not many more situations that have a more well-defined top two options in the passing game. Probably going to end up again as one of the most rush heavy teams in the league. And that sucks because I think Lockett, Metcalf and Russ, you know, would have very, very high wide receiver one and QB one ceilings. But even without that great player, worst case, number two option, I predict he actually gets more targets than Lockett this season. And yeah, he came out at the end of the season. Sign me all the way up for DK Metcalf. Yeah, I think at worst, you're going to get a boom bust wide receiver three every single week. The He's just going to be one of the most efficient targets over these next couple of years. Not only is Russell Wilson just like the most efficient player in the entire NFL, where Metcalf is targeted is also where the uh, most fantasy production comes from. It's the uh, 25 to 50 air yards downfield. That's where the highest PPR points per target is. And that's where Metcalf runs a lot of his routes. So you're at least going to get a highly efficient player. And if he takes on a little more uh, of that target share, a little more of the air yard share, he was at 19% and 26% last year. I mean, we can be looking at like wide receiver one fantasy numbers. Just, you know, you're going to get the efficiency and there's room for growth as the targets keep rolling on. Okay. We said a lot of positive things. So I think it's only fair to bring up some skepticism here, right? Okay. 6.3 targets per game last year, just 6.3 targets, 3.6 receptions per game last season. And Hayden in between moving boxes up four flights of stairs this past week. And you also tweeted about not talking about total fantasy points for a season, but instead fantasy average fantasy points per game. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe DK Metcalf was wide receiver 46 based on average fantasy points per game. Does that not give you any pause? It certainly does. I've seen studies where if you're looking at uh, rookie wide receivers, if they, as long as they meet a threshold for targets and they're highly efficient, their year two jump is just massive. And, uh, and over the last five years, the consensus ADP just has not been high enough on these highly efficient rookies. And DK Metcalf certainly fits that build. And like you said, he was progressing as the season went on. And I don't think that there's a, enough other people uh, on the Seahawks that are going to be stealing away too much of the, too much of the target share. He was only at 19% last year. If that goes up to 23, 24, 25%, man, he's going to be balling. And Ian, isn't it close to the conversation that we have with AJ Brown as well? You know, this run first offense that doesn't have tremendous passing volume in totality, but the difference here, Ian, is that it's six spots different, right? Like, A.J. Brown is the wide receiver 14 in drafts right now. D.K. Metcalf is the wide receiver 20. So while I don't love right now where A.J. Brown is going in drafts, I would feel much more comfortable taking D.K. Metcalf on where he's lining up right now. Yeah, and even if Metcalf doesn't doesn't have that, you know, overall just clear-cut alpha pass game option in his range of outcomes, like your D.J. Charks, your Terry McLaurin's, your Devontae Parker's, I mean, that's pretty much what we're giving up in order just to have someone associated as a top-two pass catcher for Russell Wilson. So, as Hayden was saying, I mean, Russ is just so good that our floor for Metcalf, even if, you know, his uh, per-game average as a rookie wasn't great, the floor is still in firmly in wide receiver three range with, you know, the potential for so much more. And it's a better quarterback than Russell Wilson compared to Ryan Tannehill. Plus, it's about five more pass attempts per game. I mean, Tennessee was last in the league last year in average pass attempts per game with 27, I believe. Um, Sheesh. I, yeah. 
by the way, the other part of this exercise that was so much fun was just watching some of these highlight reels prior to this, just to get and reimagine what it was like to see these players in their first year. What DK Metcalf does on the field just to make everyone look small. And more importantly, like Seattle and Brian Schottenheimer, you know, we give him grief, but he matched up DK Metcalf consistently against these smaller, shiftier slot receivers. Once you get DK moving and then the ball in his hands, he's just throwing those smaller cornerbacks to the ground, like trying to be tackled by three or four guys out of bounds. And he's the one who's still standing up at the end of it. A rare player that I'm so pumped to see what happens as we progress here into year two. Um, yeah, and I, I get kind of annoyed at our industry's general haterness towards contested catch specialists like Metcalf, you know, just other random players. I'll throw Auden Tate out there. Just, you know, even if they don't consistently break away five yards from the dudes, guess what? There's not many six, three plus guys that can go up and get a ball when everything's not, I mean, you know, we see this in the NBA. It's great when you shoot all these threes and stuff, but guess what? There's going to be a time when, you know, it comes on that one-on-one -on -one situation and you're getting locked up and, you know, you need good offense to beat good defense. So yeah, I get it. It's not, it's, it's easier to throw a guy's wide open versus, you know, throw a guy open and all that. But, you know, relax a little bit, everyone. You know, I see people tossing out these next-gen separation stats. I'm not saying there's not a great way to measure this. And, you know, I'd love to see, like, a gravity-esque score for, like, wide receivers, seeing how much, like, coverage gets moved toward them. But right now, like, the best separation stats we have had Jimmy Graham as the league's leader in separation last year. So let's all chill out a little bit on the contested catch artists out there. And it helps out Russell Wilson, right? Like Russell Wilson trusts his wide receivers and like those deep play action fakes that he would make that he just lob it up to, to Metcalf along the sideline and just trust him to win. Oh, it's beauty. It's art. Some might say, okay, let's close out one more name. Hayden Winks. Who are you nominating? I am out on any David Johnson post hype. I, I can't do it with him. Uh, last year. He was just, he was just too bad. And it, for me, it's the fit within the Texans offense. Deshaun Watson targeted his running backs on only 14.7 of his throws last year. That was a third lowest rate in the NFL. And that's for a couple of reasons. Deshaun Watson loves to scramble. Of course, he's one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the league, but he's also one of the most aggressive quarterbacks in the league. The Texans were sixth in percentage of passes passes traveling 20 plus yards downfield. So he's never checking the ball down. So what David Johnson was so good at with the Cardinals back in the day was catching those dump offs and then breaking them up, up field. I'm not sure if we're going to get that with David Johnson. It just goes to show you over the last four years, this is where the Texans running backs ranked in PPR points. They were 26th last year, 30th, 25th, and then 27th. And I don't think that David Johnson has enough left in the tank. And even if he did show it, the re-injury risk is so high that I, I just want to be out on the whole situation. Yeah. Last year really wasn't quite as bad as, you know, the, run he had against the Buccaneers or look like he had a piano on his back, made it out to be. I mean, before he got those back and ankle injuries, only McCaffrey, Cook, Eckler, and Chubb have more points per reception than DJ. But, I mean, so much of that was just coming from as a receiver. And, you know, maybe he does – maybe the Texans do just change their offensive philosophy. They're going to have to do something without Hopkins soaking up 160-plus targets. And, you know, David's kind of rate in the slot and out wide was similar to what we saw Duke Johnson last year. So, I mean, Bill O'Brien's not – completely immune to, you know, using his running backs in the past game. But we are making several kind of leaps of faith for a guy that, as Hayden mentioned, you know, does have a very, very troubling injury history. And, you know, it does suck that we did not see him return to form in any, you know, manner after that injury. I mean, you know, it's it. I don't like to look at players and rule them out only because you're saying, well, he'll probably get injured. But it's not looking good for DJ 
in that manner. And also the projected fit in the offense could also be troublesome. So I'm more in the Texans offense. I like the wide receivers because you can get them in the thirties and forties range and they have that upside. David, maybe a little earlier in this offseason when he was kind of going as almost later and, you know, past even like David Montgomery. But no, I'm not going to use anything resembling a top 20 pick on him this year. We talk about it all the time. It's just another example and just a crazy example of how quickly these running back careers just fall off a cliff. I mean, two years ago, David Johnson was a top three running back in fantasy circles, was one of the most electric running backs in the entire NFL maybe the best receiving back in the NFL in terms of what he could do. I mean, I remember those was the Carson Palmer days where, you know, they would basically run like four verts and have him as like a clear out option underneath. And it was like third and 16 and he would just pick it up. He's just one of the most athletic runners in the league. And I would say, and again, I'm no coach, but for a long time, he kind of relied on that athleticism as a runner. And if he just doesn't have that anymore, if that's been sapped from him now, and you also talked about potentially the, the lack of receiving volume connected to Deshaun Watson, then it's troubling. But guys, we're not talking about, you know, a top three, top five running back here. We're talking about the running back 22 in drafts right now. I mean, he's the running back 18 in our magazine. And by the way, Hayden, you and I have him the latest at running back 23 and 24. Um but it, it's it's difficult for me. You know, one of those running backs in that area is going to hit. And we talked about this with Pat uh, last week as well. You know, your Melvin Gordons, your James Connors, your Devin Singletary's, your David Montgomery's, like one of those is going to hit. I could live in a universe where it might be David Johnson, but I totally understand the skepticism as well. Yeah, I, I looked at uh, historical ADPs and tried to figure out where the most profitable picks are by position in which areas. And one of the takeaways from that article was the RB 15 to 24 range has just been atrocious. And that's the same range where the wide receivers have the highest win rate. Uh, if you look at rounds three through six, the win rate of wide receivers is 8.9% and the average win rate is 8.3%. It seems small, but it's actually a big deal in that range. You want to be, drafting your receivers like the guys we talked about Metcalf uh, and going on from there and not your David Johnson's for me I want to start early with my running backs get those out of the way and then wait a while longer grab someone like Tevin Coleman or even wait later get someone like Chase Edmonds or uh, uh, Tony Pollard one of these handcuffed guys and just skip out on this entire tier completely hmm. so guys if we're saying David Johnson you know injury risk a real thing <laughs> All right. Is this the year? Is this the year with Duke Johnson? Is this the year? You Duke Johnson is play. better than David Johnson, and it's not even close. That's my take. That oh. is a fact. And Duke Johnson has never missed a game in his four-year career. He was more efficient running inside than Carlos Hyde was last year. We know he's a great receiver. You know, Hugh Jackson and Bill O'Brien, I don't think get the most flattering things said about them, but they've told the world that the you know Miami Hurricanes all-time leading rusher is, you know, not a three-down back. Do we see it this year? I'm just nervous that even if David Johnson gets hurt, we see them bring in, you know, Devontae Freeman or something like that. Josh, thoughts? Um, you know, just would not be an appearance from Ian Harditz if Duke Johnson was not mentioned. It's only <laughs> fitting here. It's only fitting here, Ian Harditz. Okay, here are the six names we discussed today that are hype training their way through the NFL offseason. Calvin Ridley, Nico Hardman, Tyler Higbee. All three of us are on board. The Bucks offense, Ian Hardis, not so much. DK Metcalf, yeah, I think we can agree. 
exciting player. And then finally, David Johnson, plenty of skepticism to be had. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen? You think we did well? I think this was a great podcast. You didn't answer my question, Josh. Do you think <laughs> yeah, you that Danny Brown, Duke, is able to wrap this up? I, there's a reason, you know, I have learned that as the host, I get to decide when we move on from topics and when it, there's potential for people to listen back to this and, you know, clip or quote me on certain players. And I don't want them to. And Duke Johnson, I look, I can say that I think he's an awesome talent. And I think that if anyone knows that Deshaun Watson doesn't necessarily throw to running backs as much as we would like him to or could be as efficient, Duke Johnson probably knows that more than anyone else in the NFL. So, the, and, and the only point that I'll, I'll make closing here with David Johnson, and I made this with Pat in the last episode. If he just does what Carlos Hyde did last year, isn't that value, Hayden? Isn't that value? Like over a thousand yards, a super quiet 1,000 yard season. And David Johnson, I think despite the concern, isn't he more talented than Carlos Hyde is right now? Possibly. My whole thing with those type of players is if you're looking at who won your fantasy league, were they starting Carlos Hyde? No, no. they were not. No. They were starting so like, Lamar Jackson. Yes, they were. Like you, you need like total upside guys. And I don't think that this offense, just the way that they use running backs, even if Duke Johnson was a full-time player, just the ceiling's just not quite there. And I know like you're if you're drafting the RB40, of course, it's gonna be tough to find the ceiling. But for me, give me like Chase Edmonds, someone that you know, if he's actually starting, the offense is so conducive of fantasy points that you're going to get a higher chance of getting an RB1. And I just don't see it with the David Johnson, Duke Johnsons in this offense with Deshaun. My last thought is I got Sheffield United over Aston Villa. No, no. (laughs) I was going to bring it up here at the end, Ian, just, you know, your, your, your thoughts, your feelings on while people are listening to this podcast the Premier League season, 10 games left for the Villa boys from Aston to stay up, to not get relegated, to keep their wonder kid in Jack Grealish, the homegrown man from Birmingham. But if they go down and almost if they stay up, then he will most likely be gone as well. I know you'll be watching, Ian Hardis. It is the kickoff match. Did you know that? They are, they are starting with the best, the the number one show. No wolf tickets here, Ian. It's <laughs> It's Aston Villa and Sheffield United. No Wolf tickets here. <laughs> I've never watched a Premier League soccer game in my entire life. Not a single one. Start on Wednesday. Start on Wednesday. 1 p.m. Eastern. All right. That's going to do it for us. Again, um, if you are not subscribed and you enjoy the show, go and do that. Like, share, do all that fun stuff. Um, for Ian Harditz, for Hayden Winks and his restoration hardware photo shoot, I am Josh Norris more than ever. Up the villa. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. 
Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.